Today, we welcome Karen, who is a parent in my practice, this is Stephanie speaking, at My Ed Therapist in Redondo Beach, California. Karen is the mother of Riley, and we'll let Karen share more in this episode about Riley and why she sought out educational therapy. Both Raish and I think that this is a really special episode. Karen's vulnerability is striking. I invited her on the podcast after a conversation we had about how she felt Riley could have benefited earlier from educational therapy had she only known about it sooner. In this episode, Karen is deeply committed to being honest, vulnerable, and compassionate towards herself through her whole parenting experience. We can't wait for you to hear this one, Smarties. Don't forget to listen to the end and hear our key takeaways. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to Episode 73 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. And today we are very excited and honored to welcome Karen, who is a parent in Steph's practice, my ed therapist. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thanks. It's exciting to be here. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. So you're smarty. You've been listening to some episodes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you found the podcast because you were already working with Steph, right? Yes. Yes. Although when we first talked to her, she said, go listen to my podcast. And so I was listening even before we started. So that is something we often do in our intake calls because it sets you guys up for conversations that we're going to have later. Yeah. Not surprised. Steph, do you remember what episodes you encouraged her to go listen to? No. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I don't remember. (laughs) All good. You guys, we've recorded over 73 episodes at this point. So there's a lot of content out there to go back and listen to. But Karen, what initially brought you to seek out educational therapy? It was a daughter's neurologist who told us that it was time to seek it. And honestly, my only frustration out of the whole thing is why didn't someone tell us this five or six years ago? That was frustration. She was just failing to make progress in school. I was really concerned. Um, She's a middle schooler. Mm -hmm. And I'd grown concerned about what we were actually working toward. Because, of course, everyone's thinking four-year college. I'm getting my kid ready for four-year college. And I was trying to even figure out, is is that in the cards? Are we being mean to her? Should we be looking for a certificate program or what? Mm-hmm. You know, want to set her up for success and what do we need to do now to get her there? So we had her tested and found that her math is almost non-existent. Yeah, it's at a second grade level. Second grade level by a test that is standardized by all third graders in the United States. So it's, yes, it's and kind she's of going a depressed into population. Yeah, and she's going to eighth grade. The test the school district gave her, she was uh, performing math in the fourth percentile. Okay. So really, really, really struggles with math, really math averse. Um, if mm-hmm. you hand her a calculator and a column of numbers, she won't do it for me. She'll do it for Steph, but she won't do it for me in real life. Playing games, trying to do the you know little cross hatchings of five, one, two, three, four, five. She can't organize that on a piece of paper. She'll do three, then five, then eight, and they'll be all over the page. So she's functioning in numbers, thinking in numbers. She just can't do. And we've been doing tutoring with her all this time, tried all kinds of things, had the learning specialist at her elementary school tutor her one whole summer, 
which was good. She learned touch math, which we're back to now. We've done Linda Mood Bell. For math? For math. We did it for reading and math, but we did it for math. She lost it all within a year. And this is the first thing that is really kind of getting in there and helping build for her these math concepts that are just really not natural. Mm -hmm. And Stephanie's reaching her. Steph's good at reaching kids. <laughs> Including Thanks. coming out to the car and getting her when she refuses to come in. I mean, Steph. I do. I've heard those stories. <laughs> I've heard those stories, especially when it, it sounds like when it's mostly out of her routine a little bit. She's not in school, right? Well, the, the podcast episode that I remember the most of yours is the one about your computers and your kid. And that's a real issue. If she's home and she's using her computer and I have to go get her and bring her, that is a really hard transition. It works much better if it's coming straight from school, which is kind of tough because she's tired from school. But as far as the emotion of it, her mindset is there. Yeah. She hasn't transitioned into something fun yet. Right. It's harder to transition out of something fun than knowing it's coming. Right. And Smarties, Karen's talking about episode 65, Screen Time with Dr. Joe Dilly. And we'll link that in the show notes. Steph has already written it down. Yep. She's on it. <laughs> so you mentioned that you wish that someone had told you about educational therapy earlier. I'm just flabbergasted I haven't heard about it because... In our whole journey with our daughter, I mean, my gosh, we had her do an extra year of preschool because she was having fine motor things. And it seemed mm -hmm. probably there was some ADHD, but they won't diagnose it then. And then by second grade with the homework, that was causing her just to fall apart and rages. And one, one point she bit herself so hard, she almost broke the skin. And I told the school, forget it. We don't do homework anymore. Anyway, so this whole- Oh, I like you, Karen. Just- <laughs> <laughs> I like that. They were respectful of that. But as we did this whole journey and it finally ended up, she also has Tourette that came up when she was nine. And the psychiatrist, as soon as the Tourette showed up, said, you need to put her in a private school. And we couldn't understand what they were talking about because the school was being very helpful and very responsive. But within the year, we had her in a private school. And that's when I discovered there's this whole universe of kids who aren't your conventional, like, kids that you think are going to need special ed, but they're just, school is not right for them mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons. But classrooms are too overwhelming. The way information is taught in a regular classroom just isn't accessible to them. The social things get in the way so much. The, either they invite abuse or they're too social or whatever, but the social things get in such a problem. Anyway, there's this whole universe of schools and services and stuff, which we started accessing about the time she was nine and learning about. And still no one mentioned educational therapy to me and all that. And I just am flabbergasted that I'm just now hearing about it. Well, one of the things Steph always will say is you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there's no way to know until somebody mentions it to you. But it's one of the missions of this podcast. And I think it's one of the reasons you agreed to come on mm -hmm. is to kind of expand awareness about what it is that we do because we can reach students who are having such challenges. So it just sounds like you've really been through the ringer up until this point mm -hmm. with her. Can you share a little bit more about... Riley's diagnoses and history so that our audience can have some context. So Riley is adopted. We were matched with her birth mother when she was four months pregnant. Looking back, we, we really don't know what you don't know. 
So she was drug tested once a week, the birth mother was, and she came out clear every week. And I used to go to her OB appointments with her. It was an open adoption through an agency in Southern California. And we were feeling really good about it. And Riley was born and a physician looked at her and said, gave her a clean bill of health. And we're like, we have our healthy baby. That was our task to bring home our healthy baby. And she was a terrific baby, except that you couldn't put her down. She, she would just be held. She, she needed to be held. She would just scream and scream and scream and scream. And then the preschool issues that I mentioned, and and they, I went to her pediatrician finally. And this is something I would share with all parents that I got so much appreciation from every specialist we dealt with because of this. Things got so crazy that I couldn't even describe like what was happening in her home to professionals. Oh, and it only happened around me. Right. Not around my husband, not around other people. It was just crazy at home for me, which I've also learned is really common. And so I finally started keeping this journal and I called it our volatility journal. And I would write down what had happened right before the episode, what happened during the episode, and then how it resolved. And I had maybe 13 of these and I went to her pediatrician because I learned that with behavior problems with the very young and the very old, it's very often medical. Yes. And so I went to her pediatrician and she said, parenting is hard, but it's not supposed to be this hard. Mm. And that kind of started us with an OT assessment and then sensory integration and So the diagnoses kept coming and then the Tourette and then anxiety. And then we finally ended up with Dr. Pantea Sharifi Hanauer, who finally caught it after all this time. It was fetal alcohol exposure. And once I knew that, first I was horrified and and lost in the doctor's office, but went home and absolutely lost it and was devastated. And then it turned out it was like the best thing that ever happened to us because we finally knew what we were working with. And we were finally able to get her help and we got her in behavioral therapy. And within a year and a half, they transformed her from being kind of a <laughs> kind of savage to like being this social person who could meet people and have conversations and just totally transformed her. And I didn't realize fetal alcohol exposure is the number one birth defect in the United States. It almost always goes undiagnosed because she looks fine. She just seemed like a wild little kid. Like you wouldn't have looked at her and said, oh, there's something wrong. Except if we'd been seeing a pediatrician who specialized in adoption of children, I'm sure she would have caught it, caught it right away. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So it kind of gave you the framework through which you can now look at what's happening with her and everything kind of was lining up according to what they would expect. And the other thing is the predictive value. I mean, once you have knowledge, you can start looking forward and going, okay, this is going to be an issue and this is going to be an issue. This is going to be an issue. So like one thing we're working on right now, she has features that are close enough to autism spectrum disorder that it's questionable whether or not she actually has it, but she's close enough that the therapies for ASD are appropriate for her and work for her like behavioral therapy. Yes. Can I give a shout out to an insurance professional by name? Am I allowed to do that? Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. So behavioral therapy was going to cost like 30,000 a year out of pocket and our insurance didn't cover it. So at the last minute, someone said to me, could you use Obamacare to do it? And a friend of mine sells insurance and I called her up. I'm like, is there any way? Anyway, we got a policy that for, I forget what it was, $280 a month, 
we got this $30,000 worth of therapy and life changing. Oh, just incredible. And her name is Tracy Blender and she helped us with the insurance and I'm just so grateful. It was just so incredible that we were able to do that. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to add her information into the show notes in case anybody in Southern California. And will you send us her contact information so we can link her there and then let her know that she's going to be linked there? (laughs) She has a background and specialty in kids. So she really gets kids. Anytime we can get a resource like this, because one of the things that maybe we don't talk about enough on the podcast is how expensive everything we're talking about really is. Mm -hmm. And if you're a normal family in the United States, a lot of this is not available to you. So Mm -hmm. having a resource like that, honestly, I probably just want to talk to her so I know her. Yeah, um, and can send families to her for that kind of extra support. Why not share the wealth, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So for those two years, we had two insurance policies for her, which was kind of nice because we paid for nothing out of pocket. They covered everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I say, we would have had a drastic reduction in our lifestyle. Sure. If we'd had to pay that all out of pocket. And it was just, again, Tracy Blender and I'll, I will definitely share the insurance information with you. Thank you. So the other thing that I really want to kind of reflect back to you is that I'm noticing that along the way you were very open and responsive to experts Mm -hmm. and to people who could provide support and give you support. And so I just wanted to kind of give kudos to you on that because it seems like from a very early age, you were open and receptive. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder if the adoption thing isn't an advantage. Maybe you're not as tied up in your ego, like what's wrong with me? What did I do? Mm -hmm. For years, I thought I was the world's worst mother and I was ashamed and I was embarrassed. And I thought everyone knew, I'm going to cry now. I thought everyone knew how to do it better than me. And it was just awful. And then, yeah, I just kept looking for help and looking for, and just, but you know, it was for her because I felt she was getting terrible parenting and I was looking for help. Like, how do I do this? How do I parent? She was so unlike any other little kid I'd ever met. And, Mm. you know, I used to be a nanny and I used to, you have a background in education. You have a lot of experience, a master's in education. Yeah. And I just had never met a kid like this. You know, looking back, do you remember in elementary school, the bad boys, the wild boys? Oh, yeah. That's who these kids were when we were kids. Uh Uh-huh. They were the ones that couldn't fit, were were really wild. Mm -hmm. Those are the kids that needed the support that Riley is getting now. This is the benefit of being a child with a parent like you Mm -hmm. in this day and age. We know about so much more Mm -hmm. about how students take information and about how they process information, about how their responsiveness to stimuli is really something that we all pay attention to. And especially teachers who are familiar with the broad spectrum of what can walk into your classroom Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year and the openness. And we don't expect every kid to be that in-the-box kid anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to add to that, I don't know if you remember this, but either of you, because I told Rachel this story about, I don't know if you remember, Karen, but you came in and you said you had this look on your face and it was a rough day. It was a really rough day. And Riley can be very rough sometimes. But 
I said, how are you doing? Or how is it going? Or something. And you said, well, it was tough for one of us. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning Riley. And I remember, and I was like, you are such a good mom. (laughs) And I actually told Rachel that I said that to you because I was like, she gets it. <laughs> Obviously, you have a deep emotional connection with your daughter. I do, yeah. But you also have this kind of almost, I don't want to say clinical perspective, but realistic perspective mm-hmm. of who she is and her abilities. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that a little bit later. But in terms of when you met Steph, what were some of the goals that you came into educational therapy with? What did Steph say you were going to work on? What was the primary goal? What was that whole process like? I'll tell you what the real ultimate goal is, is to get her through high school. So she has to have enough math to get her a high school diploma. And I wish I could find a high school with a remedial math that would graduate her. I've been looking around and all I keep seeing algebra one, algebra one, algebra one. I've talked to the class program up at Rolling Hills and They sound like probably what she's going to need if we can get in, but they still require algebra one to get through. And they said, okay, we'll divide it up a little small and we can take two years to do it. So they'll get her through it. But honestly, the way she is with math, what we should be focusing on her in real is, can she do percentages? Can she look at a contract and figure out if someone's trying to fool her? Can she listen to health statistics with a little bit of knowledge and go like, well, that doesn't quite make sense, or yes, that's really important. In life, you just kind of have to be able to have a sense of what area is and how to calculate it. Obviously, banking, I mean, that's the stuff that I've really asked Steph to focus on is let's get her... You're talking about financial literacy. Financial literacy and physical literacy and scientific literacy. Talking about the real world application of who cares if she can do some higher, like solving two equations to find what X and Y is. She doesn't need that. She doesn't need to solve equations for X and Y. Real life, you solve for X all the time. And she needs to be able to do that. But no, the quadratic equation, no. Who cares? She doesn't need to use it. I think one of the things that's holding back her ability in progressing and getting past the second, third grade level Mm -hmm. is really, she just, she just wants to guess and get it over with. It's almost like math just makes her so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when she slows down, and this is one of the things we've really been working on and having exposure to numbers and that numbers are everywhere. Mm -hmm. She's already made progress with that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what I've I've noticed about Riley from, again, when I can be dispassionate and, and calm down and look at it with a little bit of perspective, over and over again, her behavior comes down to self-protection. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's what the math fear has to, I'm not quite sure what she's protecting herself from. I'm guessing the discomfort of something being anguishly, provokingly. Yeah horrible to try to wrap her head around that it's so hard and it's so painful that she's protecting herself from that experience um, is my guess. Well, it's what we know about the experience that we have with kids too, especially at the age that she is. She's had a lot of years to feel really bad about her own math ability, Mm -hmm. right? And so Steph and I talk about it all the time that we would check out too. Mm -hmm. If we had been working for years and years and years to build a skill and you know what, it's just not coming. I don't think I would work that long on it. Steph always says to me that I do things quickly, but I also on the flip side of that, 
I stop doing things when I'm not doing them well. Right. And as adults, you get to do that. You don't, yes. you don't make so you go luxury. seven subjects a day, six of which you don't care about. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I tell parents when I have those kids transitioning to college, two things. First of all, keep the ed therapist on the team for that transition, at least through the first semester. But second of all, your kid's going to be taking classes of high interest finally. Mm-hmm. They're self-selecting what they're going to be doing. They're picking the time of day mm-hmm. where they function best. I remember when I went to college, my brother set up my schedule. We went to the same school. And so he just took over, which was fine with me because I didn't know what I was doing. And he set up my schedule. So I only had classes like in the afternoon on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I had Thursday through Sunday off. It was fantastic. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. This is what's coming. That's the luxury of what's coming. But right now we need these kids to get through these subjects so that they can have that well-rounded experience. But I, And get that high school diploma because I don't know how you function in society without a high school diploma like that. We've got to do that. So this is where I wanted to ask you my next question. It sounded like you were really going through a process of how do we set Riley up for a life where she's going to be successful and she's going to thrive. I'm curious about your evolution in evolving your expectations for her and how that's evolved over time and how you've kind of gotten to a place where it might look different than what you would have thought. Well, I'll tell you where it started was I kept thinking we were in a bad stage. And at age two, we were in a bad stage. And age three, at age four, at five, six. Mm. <laughs> just, and, and it wasn't until we got that final diagnosis that it was like, that was part of the anguish of it for me was realizing, oh, this isn't a stage. This is what we're working with. This is yeah. where we are. And I meant to say, once I looked up Alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, A-N-R-D. I think I'm missing a letter, but that's that's what she classifies as. So fetal alcohol system syndrome is way at the far end of the extreme. And then once I started realizing it, my whole perspective changed. And it was like, oh my God, we are so lucky. She is doing so well. <laughs> She's doing phenomenally well. So the diagnosis was powerful for you in a couple different ways. Very powerful. But as far as my evolution, you you want to know the evolution of what I see for her? Yeah. So so there was the first thing was just it's a stage and I was seeing like everything was going to be normal and you know I was going to have a kid who did this and that and we were going to go to museums together and we were <laughs> all these fantasies you have yeah. about a kid when you're when you're having a baby and just kind of watching those all crash down and say like wait a minute that's not the kid I have. And then coming to terms with the fact that like tons of people don't get the kid they thought they were going to get, you know, yes. for all kinds of reasons. And, and I talked to friends with typical 14 year olds and they're going through all kinds, you know, we like, we don't have any mean girls in our life. We're so lucky. Like I've got a 14 year old who loves school, loves her friends and has never had to deal with a mean girl. That's pretty darn cool. But as far as seeing her future, The most recent step was going to her neurologist and saying, you know, what are we working toward? She did a, they did a full battery of testing and did a lot of non-linguistic testing because they found she had a really severe disability in uh, language processing. Um, So taking information in through reading, taking in through, even through talking, sometimes words can be challenging really severe deficit in math, which turns out is totally typical of these alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder kids, is we were talking to a lawyer who Stephanie recommended us to, 
And she said, it's almost like they have a hole in their head where, not in a mean way, but like there's just this gap where your math should be. And so. And that part of the brain just probably didn't develop. Which we all know neuroplasticity, right? That what happens when someone has a stroke and have brain damage is other parts of the brain are called on mm-hmm. to develop it. And so I know, you know, if a stroke victim can learn to walk and talk again, then my kid can learn to do math. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a personal question? Yeah, go ahead. And stuff. maybe you can speak to this too, because I don't know how much work you're doing on this. What does she understand about herself? Uh, <laughs> we've never talked diagnosis. Okay. Some point the spectrum stuff is going to come up because she was in a situation the other day where a friend was telling a joke and the friend said, like, how do you fit an elephant in a refrigerator? And it was a two-part joke. And so then the second, and then how do you fit a giraffe in a refrigerator? And then Riley started to answer and the friend's like, no, 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 no. And then the friend went on to tell the joke. And later I was talking to Riley was really upset. She's like, why did she yell at me? Why did she tell me not to answer the joke? And uh, it didn't occur to me in the moment, but I still have to go back and revisit her and say, when someone's telling you a joke, they don't want you to really guess the punchline. They want the joy of telling the punchline. So if you want to just joke back and say something funny, that's okay that may be too nuanced for, but don't really guess the punchline because then you're taking away the fun for them of doing the punchline. And, and she needs to learn that. You need That's like a social thing that I'm going to have to, she did a lot in ABA, but you know. Humor ABA, is hard. Humor is hard. Because the way it's delivered is so different from person to person. People can be totally animated and excited in their faces, or they can be super dry. And even people who understand humor don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that's going to be also interesting and something for you guys to keep in mind, and I'm only thinking about this because Steph and I sat in a lecture on this for, you know, teenager, young adult people who are somewhere on the spectrum is dating. Mm-hmm. The nuance of dating is so challenging. And I remember they talked about how compliments really should be from the neck up. Except there's tons of kids like her. I mean, that's what I've learned in this kind of alternate universe of these other kids. She's had a boyfriend. It was the quirkiest, silliest thing. <laughs> Good, though. Good, though. <laughs> Quirky. That's more than was going on for me at 14. Jeez. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened was a okay. girl, a much more sophisticated girl showed up at her school and introduced the idea of boyfriend and girlfriend and kind of pushed them together. And so it was, it was really an external thing, but understood. But at the same time, developmentally appropriate, very developmentally appropriate. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I do have to say the thing about Riley is that she is honestly, when she is in the right headspace, she has such good manners. Mm -hmm. She is the sweetest When she's been really mad, really mad at me, really mad. I told her to write a paragraph about how much she hates me. And she said, oh, I don't hate you. I just don't want to be here. And I was like, that's fair. Yeah. But to have the wherewithal to tell me I don't hate you was a lot more than most kids can do. Agreed. To be able to identify what was going on for her. Mm-hmm. Steph, I want to ask you, because I kind of want to represent our audience a little bit, and I know that Karen said that you're really able to reach her. Mm-hmm. 
can you give either an anecdote or a tip? Because I actually think that you're the perfect fit for a kid who's going to be sitting in the car, mm-hmm. right, and refusing to come in. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like you can share about that? So it's really about reaching that kid and not having expectations. So at the very beginning, and even sometimes during session, I don't have expectations of her feeling like we need to get this done or this done, right? And so when she's been in the car and been really upset, and not wanting to come in. It's not your choice whether you're here or not. It's your choice how long you're going to be here. Right. So we would talk about that and what that looked like. We would also talk about the things that she really liked to do. So I had incentives, right? She loves to draw. She likes to watch things on her phone with me for a few minutes or show me a game or show me a costume. And she really likes jelly beans (laughs) and things like that, right? And so I know... You know, sometimes it's actually been really great because the last couple of weeks she's come in and she was really upset and then she realized she was hungry. And when she ate, after she had a little bit of like a few jelly beans and a few, she tries a couple of things because I have all kinds of snacks in my office and she's actually much better after. Mm -hmm. So if I can tend to her needs that don't have anything to do with being what we're working on. The essential, fundamental. Mm -hmm. Then she's much more willing to show up, right? When she first started, she said, I hate games. I'm never going to play them. I don't like them. I'm not going to do this. Now, I don't even have to ask her if she'll play a game. Now it's, okay, this game or that game. And then she'll choose. And she'll say to me, I don't like playing games with anybody but you. And... I think that is the evolution that we're getting to, right? Like Karen bought a game, Rummy Cube, which I thought she did phenomenal at. Just some number awareness. And she beat me. Right. I mean, with a little bit of help, obviously. But she beat me. And so Karen bought it for at home. And she said that, you know, she's not ready to play it at home. But just having it there and watching her parents play, these kinds of situations of not having these expectations for her. And so like when she's been in the car and she's been really upset and I just give her time, I just give her a few minutes. I don't walk away. I don't give up on her, but I say, okay, let's talk about that, but let's do it in my office or let's go. You'll get some jelly beans if you can just come in right now. And it doesn't hurt that the car is hot. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. It's, It's summer and the car is hot. And even sometimes she'll come into my office and she'll sit there and she'll say, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And I'll say, okay, we don't have to do anything. What would feel good to you right now? And sometimes she'll say, I just want to watch on my phone for a few minutes. Or I just, I really need to draw for a few minutes. And so then I'll let her draw and then we'll talk about timing. Okay, how about you do this for the next four minutes and then we're going to do something else. And then by the time she's calmed down a little bit, she'll say, okay, that works. And then I'll say, we're going to do this, and then you can go back to it. And so as long as I am checking in with her needs, she's much more willing to do the things that I want her to do. Doesn't sound like it has to be the most long, drawn-out process because you're giving her boundaries. And you're teaching her recovery. Shorter recovery time the longer you've worked with her, right? 
Yeah, the first two days, she was perfect. She didn't complain about coming in. She got to earn jelly beans if she didn't complain, and she didn't complain the first two days. The third day, she was very upset. I let her go in. I gave her some food and some paper, and I let her just do her thing, and I sat out with Karen for probably like five minutes. And then I came in and she was ready. I don't think she's ever had a screaming fit. I mean, she was swearing and yelling and throwing things. And this is just this whole thing I do at home. We're like, okay, don't be emotional because it's just like throwing kerosene on a fire. And just she explodes. I go move the laundry along and then I come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now we need to. Ah! Everything with her has to be sideways. Like you can't come in straight from the front. And, and that when I'm hearing Stephanie describe it, that's what it sounds like to me. The same thing I have to do. Home. Like just like you have to come in at sideways and you have to give her a buffer time of it can't be right now immediately. Like she needs to ready herself for whatever the activity mm-hmm. is. Is there anything else, Karen, that you've really noticed a shift with Riley as a result of her work with Steph? Clearly they have a good rapport between the two of them. Is there anything else that you've seen as a result? Not math wise yet, but I mean, you can tell listening to step, she's working in little tiny increments. I mean, just getting Riley to tolerate being there. I mean, if you know anything about ABA therapy and what they do with, um, you know, really severely autistic kids is it's like getting them to even face the therapist and getting them to come to the table and rewarding for these little tiny things. And, and that's kind of what Steph is doing now is just getting her to come to the appointment and sit there and play the game. I'm happy with that progress. I'm not trying to blow smoke, but this is another testament to how you're approaching this whole process. Cause I feel comfortable speaking for Steph and I, that not every parent is okay with that. Steph and I talk about tiny wins all the time between each other with us and our teams. And a lot of times parents want major wins and they want it fast. The fact that you came into this realistic about the whole process and about Steph does need to get her Mm buy-in. That math stuff will come. That's the larger like life end goal, but the resiliency and the tolerating I use that word a lot with kids in my practice. You have to learn how to tolerate this. Well, in ABA, they refer to it as tolerating a non-preferred activity. Yes, absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah. And two days last week, she spent an entire session with me tolerating a non-preferred activity without complaining once. There you go. And during the school year, it'll be twice a week. So I think we'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think it'll be okay too. You know, as she builds the rapport with me and knows that I'm a safe place, that I'm not going to sit there and make her do something she's not ready for and take her down that tunnel of being upset, I'm very calm with her. And I never push her when I don't think she's ready. And I know I can see the difference. So she shows up and now she won't even complain to play a game. I mean, that's new. Yeah, I just have to give a shout out to Steph's office. Steph's office, it's just happy. It's so happy. (laughs) And just to say that she's surrounded by games doesn't even do it justice. They're cool games. (laughs) Thank you. I want to do that. Welcome to whatever. <laughs> it is just a cool place to be. And the, the waiting room is really nifty. And the and the office itself, it's like, 
I wish I could go in and play with stuff. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, I do appreciate love that a lot. I wanted to ask kind of two wrap up questions. We know that our audience here are parents. And we know that we have a lot of special educators or other ed therapists or teachers listening. I want to know, what would you say to the parents who are listening? And then what would you say to the other group, the special educators, learning specialists, ed therapists who are listening? To the parent and who I'd really be talking to is me five years ago or six years ago. Talk to yourself five years ago. I love that question. Yeah, yeah. What I would really (laughs) say is, Stop heaping crap on your own head. Hmm. Stop blaming yourself. Look for help. Reach out. There are professionals. There are professionals that will give you answers. Just keep looking. I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Pantea Sharifi Hanauer, who's a developmental neurologist who really transformed everything for us. She's the one who spotted it. I probably know five or six kids, uh, but really families that she, I mean, it's not just the kid, it's the whole family she works with. Mm -hmm. And just keep reaching out and don't rely on the public school. They are not your ally in this. I'm sorry. I I don't know what your guys' philosophy of this, but I just going to leave. They're just not your ally. They are guarding a very limited resource in their special ed program. The special ed program is not that effective, at least for a kid like Riley. And do not, if your kid is struggling, look beyond the public school because if your kid has a serious enough issue, the school just isn't going to be able to solve it. You're going to have to look beyond the school. And then what would you share with teachers, educators, learning specialists? Oh, I'll tell you what I'd share with them is consider this as a career. If you want to do something you love and the heart (laughs) of the job that you really love doing that part where you're with the kid and you're making transformations, you know, and not dealing with administrative paperwork and people breathing down your neck. This is my God. I wish I'd known about this career field 20 years ago. Well, let me just add that CAP Educational Therapy Group in Beverly Hills and my ed therapist <laughs> in Redondo Beach are always hiring fabulous educators who want to transform the lives of learners and their families and maybe make a little more money than they would make in the public school or private school sector as a classroom teacher. Hit us up, guys. Mm-hmm. We're, I'm currently in the process of hiring, so for sure. <laughs> and you're not exposed to as many germs? <laughs> I mean, there's the practical side of it that our hours, hours are, better. are better. Here's the real gem. My mom is a teacher as well. And she told me that she was starting school today. And I said, what does that mean? Are the kids coming? Or are you sitting in useless meetings? And she's like, no, the useless meetings are starting tomorrow. So, Oh, one thing I would say to parents is when we were looking for ed therapists, I don't think you have to do anything too special to call yourself an ed therapist. Because I read all the websites very, very carefully. And some of these people... They're from good schools, but they're like a psych major from a good school who's been out of school for two years. Okay, but then you look at Steph and Steph's resume and Rachel and Rachel's resume. And so just pay attention to the background of the person. We don't have licensure in the state of California in particular. So that's true. Almost anybody can call themselves an educational therapist. We do talk about this a little more in depth 
And thank you for saying we have nice resumes too. But we do talk about this a little more in depth on another on-air coaching call, which Steph will link in the show notes. But we do talk about that a little bit more than we ever had in this episode. So thank you for sharing that because it doesn't mean people aren't fantastic. But we have a little bit of a different, you know, we're certified. There's been oversight, shall we say. Right, Steph? What would you add to that? Yeah. Oh, I was going to say it's episode 69. So we will include episode 69 as well. This is 73, so people will have heard that one too. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Karen, do you have any final questions for us? Well, you asked me what I see Riley doing in the future. And I didn't, my, my final answer on that is I'm looking really hard. I'm looking every time I go to an office, every time I see someone doing a job, you know, at a national park, the people who are working there, I go Mm -hmm. to the city, I go to an office there. I'm just really, really looking and thinking like, okay, who are these people? What are they background? What skills they have to have? So I'm just paying a lot of attention, but I would turn it around and ask you guys like, okay, so you've got a kid like Riley. So she's just going to be quirky her whole life. I mean, she's just going to have that and be quirky. She's got her strengths. She has her challenges. Like, what do you see her doing? We now know each other well enough that it's like after the intake session, right? We've kind of done an intake session together. This is what I would say to the parent who was worried about that. You're at least five years away. That seems like no time at all. <laughs> but you're at least five years is a yeah. long time. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you five years ago? Oh, okay. All right. Exactly. I always like to tell parents, let's worry about the next three months. I understand why you're going down that path of what can her career be. <clears throat> she is very likely going to tell you what her career is going to be in the next five years. It will become clear. Or, well, and then she will work towards something. I'm not that worried about her, honestly, because she has this presence when she knows how to keep it on Mm -hmm. that is so great. And she's so artistic. Yeah. And she will find some sort of career that blends all that stuff together. And she is such a sweet kid for the challenges she faces. She's amazing. And so I think that if you just put that into perspective and even the most neurotypical kid doesn't know what they want to do. Oh, okay. Right? And how many of us have changed our careers over time, right? We've changed. You try something for a while and then you don't want to do it anymore and that's okay. So I think her journey is going to be just like any other kid that's still trying to figure it out. So, Steph, your answer is that even with an atypical kid, this is a very typical question and fear and concern. That's true. We somehow all figure it out. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a teacher. And then I started doing it and I didn't like being in the school. And I couldn't have told you when I was 14, her age, that I'd be an ed therapist. I didn't even know that there was a thing. Or you wouldn't have known that that would have been the right fit for you or that you were would own your own business at some point. No, even when we finished grad school, I didn't think I would own my own business. I know, but maybe you didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. I did not know. And that was, you know, five years ago. So, I mean, five years, it goes by fast, but it a lot of changes happen. So, yeah, I will continue to sit there and say... She will be okay. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us today. Yes. Thank you for coming. It was fun. Thank you for having me. Good. Thank you for having me. And Steph, thank you for all your work with her. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. She's a special one. That's for sure. So Steph, wow. Yeah. I can see why you, first of all, get along so well with her. Uh Uh-huh. For sure I do. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, I want to be her friend. Yeah. No, I enjoy talking to her. And I'm impressed. I thought it was really interesting when she was like, two, I thought we were at a bad stage. At three, I thought we were Uh at a bad stage. And at a certain point, she realized, no, 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 this is. And she's been able to evolve. That's really what I'm taking away from this episode is she's been really able to be malleable in how she parents. She's got a difficult situation. And a lot of you have a difficult situation with your kids. And it's definitely not what you were expecting. And I think that I really meant what I said when I said you're a really good mom, because when I take away how she's handled all the things that have come her way, and she's an amazing kid, and the fact that Karen understands where I'm coming from and how I'm approaching this and how the wins have to be really small, but we're getting them and they're becoming more and more frequent. And it's just one of those cases. And you know that Riley is not an easy client for me. It's a lot of emotion and she can be very draining for me sometimes. But the wins are that much more fruitful for me. You know, I have those clients too that Mm -hmm. I'll text you and be like, Steph. And I think it was really good for you to have this kind of as a marker episode. Because I feel like in six months... I'm going to say to you, Steph, go back and listen to where you were. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a really good marker for you. For me, and this was maybe something that would slip by something else, but this was something that I really noticed was how powerful and life-changing the diagnosis was. Mm-hmm. The relief of all the pieces coming together because she had this and this was going on and this was happening and delayed in this and... To get that one overarching diagnosis of this is why, lots of parents don't get that. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And we don't have like, you know, the theory of everything Mm -hmm. for what's going on. So the diagnosis was a relief for her because she knew how to predict what was going to happen and be able to make shift expectations. Yeah, but also finagle situations so that Riley could be more successful. Mm -hmm. But it also made her grateful. Yeah. Because it could have been so much worse. And like she said, just by looking at her, you wouldn't know. Right. That she has all these things going on. You would have no idea. In the waiting room in my office, she's seen other people and she's said hi and she's been very delightful. And she's a special kid and she got a special mom for a reason. And I think you mean that in the way that their soul is special. Yes. Not in any way other than they're so perfect for each other. In this way that a mother and child can be, even though she didn't come from her womb, it's just remarkable to see. The right parent got the right kid. Yep. So, Smarties, we have linked a bunch in this episode. (laughs) We've linked all the other success stories that we've done on the podcast because those are some of our favorites to be able to share the inside scoop on what's going on with certain clients. We've linked other episodes that we mentioned in this. And I was not kidding when I said both Steph and I are hiring. 
Yep. If you're interested in more information, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram <laughs> or shoot us an email. All that kind of contact information is listed in the show notes as well. Yep. We wanted to remind you, Smarties, that Steph and I will be going Facebook Live on Thursday, October 3rd mm. at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The reason we had to think about that is because we are recording this in mid-August. So <laughs> that's why I had to think about what month is that? But come join us in the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast Facebook group and Steph and I just decided we're going to include the hiring link for my practice in the show notes for this episode as well. So Smarties, let us know what you think. Yeah. Hit us up on Instagram or in our Facebook group. We can't wait to hear. We hope you guys felt as special about this episode as we feel about it. Yeah, I really do. And let us know if you did, even if it's just that was great. Just so that she can know too, because I'll pass on anything to her. Totally. And I, I'm sure she would appreciate it. Totally. She was really vulnerable. So show her some love. Yeah, definitely. Have a great week, guys. Have a great week.